Hey folks, so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors at Clearview Community Church. Now, how many of you have ever been surprised by something? Maybe a birthday party. Maybe a visit by a family member. Maybe baby number three was on its way. Surprise! But something you didn't expect happened. It caught you off guard. Well, today, we are going to meet Mary, arguably the greatest woman, the most significant woman in the history of the world. Mary is told some news that was definitely unexpected. So if you are just joining us, we are continuing in our series in the Gospel of Luke entitled Investigating Jesus. It is our desire as we walk through the Gospel of Luke to really look at who Jesus is, what he taught us, and hopefully answer some of your questions. So if you have your Bible, or perhaps it's on your phone, I want you to grab it out. We're going to be in Luke 1, verse 26 today. Now, before we get into Luke, I need to give you a bit of a backstory. Mary's story actually begins with the very first woman named Eve. God made creation. He created Adam and Eve in his image and likeness. He gave them dignity and value and worth. And God entrusted to them the oversight of all of creation. God allowed them freedom to enjoy their life, but he forbids, forbids them from eating of one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave them a choice to follow him or choose their own path. Sadly, our first parents, if you will, disobeyed and sinned against God, and rather than leaving them to their own demise and death, God comes to them in Genesis 3. He pursued them as he pursues us, and he speaks to them as he speaks to us. So in Genesis 3.15, we get what most theologians call the Proto-Evangelion. It is the first gospel. And so God shows up and he speaks to Satan, the serpent, who has tempted Adam and Eve. And God says to the serpent, Satan, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. What is the answer to human sin and rebellion and separation from God? A son will come through the line of the woman, through Eve. There will be a battle between the son and the serpent Satan and our Savior. He will be wounded and Satan will be defeated. From that point forward, God's people were eagerly anticipating the birth of this son, the one who would conquer Satan and sin and death and hell and the wrath of God and be our savior and be our deliverer. And then I, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 7, 14, some 700 years before Jesus would be born, he prophesies this. He says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, that is God with us. I want you to catch this. Every other religion is based on you working for it. Do enough, give enough, cleanse yourself. But Christianity teaches that God humbly became one of us. And so there was this anticipation of the son to be born, which now brings us to Luke 1, verse 26. We're going to kind of walk through this passage together. Luke 1, 26 says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth town in Galilee. Pause here. Nazareth was nothing. Nazareth is mentioned only in Luke. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. 
No one important came from Nazareth. No one important went to Nazareth. Maybe 50 to 100 people max. This is a simple rural town. Maybe you've been to them. Maybe you've been on a long road trip and you pulled into this little town to get gas, a slushy, and use the bathroom. And you're grateful for that bathroom, but you thank God that I don't live there. That's Nazareth. You're looking at simple, poor, rural people. And Gabriel comes to Nazareth. We continue. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, here we meet Mary and Joseph. We are reminded of them every Christmas season as we celebrate Advent. Some of us even have little nativity sets that we place in our home of Mary and Joseph. And there can be so much gloss over the story that we can kind of miss what is taking place here. So I want us to kind of dig a little deeper into what's really going on. So the first one I want us to look at is Joseph. Who was he? He's this young guy, probably a teenager. In those days, they married at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. He's poor. He's a carpenter. You know, he lives in Nazareth. And he was from the kingly line of David. Think of a, a boy in junior high who can't actually grow a beard, but he really wants to grow a beard. He's going to marry Mary, and he's going to raise Jesus, and he doesn't even have his driver's license yet. Well, that's kind of Joseph. He probably meets Mary when they're young. Remember, small town. There are probably not a lot of marrying options in the town, and he's working hard. He's learning his father's trade as a carpenter, trying to save up enough money to marry the girl of his dreams. That's Joseph. What about Mary? She is betrothed. We hear th that word, and it doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we do marriage differently in our culture. See, betrothal was a pledge to be married. She's probably 13, 14, 15 years old. She has been betrothed, and then there was a, be a, a year of the betrothal. They were getting excited. She's planning her wedding. Maybe some of you ladies have been there. Maybe you're doing it right now, reading through all the wedding magazines, and she's excited. She's planning it. That's what Mary's doing. That's what she's thinking about. Betrothal was so serious that to terminate a betrothal required a divorce. Now, when we see pictures of Mary, we often see her depicted kind of like this. See, Mary was not in her 30s wearing a gold crown and nicely embroidered clothing sitting on a gold throne. I want you to think a peasant girl. Peasant dress, pulling water from a well, collecting firewood to heat her parents' home. Mary is a junior high girl. For those of you who are 12 or 13 or 14, you're listening today, could you imagine being assigned to raise the Son of God? Here is a couple images of junior high girls. I want you to think about this. It kind of feels different, doesn't it? All of a sudden, Mary is no longer wearing a gold crown, but a simple junior high girl looking forward to her future. And then Gabriel shows up with unexpected news. Here's what he says to her. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end, said the angel Gabriel to this junior high girl. See, Gabriel shows up and gives this great announcement. 
God has favored you. He has chosen you. Interesting thing, the word favor is the same word we use for grace. It's undeserved favor. It's unmerited love. This word describes the essence of how we experience God's love and are saved by God. Mary was saved by grace. She was chosen by God to be a recipient of his grace. The same is true of all who become followers of Jesus. God's favor is upon us. So for me, as a follower of Jesus, I've received God's grace. This is why I really, really dislike religion. Religion is all about what you do to earn God's favor. Christianity, the message of the Bible, is all about God favoring you by his grace taking nobodies from nowhere and giving them his love. That's what God does. Check out what Mary's response is to this. Verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? Now, I want to be clear. She doesn't have unbelief. She simply is asking a question. Some of you would say something like this. I believe in Jesus. He's my God. He died for my sin. He rose for my salvation, but... I have some questions. People will often ask me, Pastor Jay, if, if I believe in Jesus but I have questions, am I still a Christian? Well, the answer is yes, absolutely. There's a difference between unbelief, which says, I don't believe the Bible is true, I don't believe Jesus is God, that he died and he rose from the dead. That's unbelief. Questions are more like, I believe the Bible is true, I believe Jesus is God, but I have a lot of questions and how all that happened. So hear me. God is big enough for your question. And some, one of the early church fathers called it faith-seeking understanding. I believe it, I'm just trying to understand it. Mary doesn't demonstrate unbelief, her question is fair. Why don't you think about this? Hey Gabe, um, I don't know if you know this, you're an angel and you guys, you know, you don't make babies, but I'm a virgin and there tends not to be a lot of virgins down here walking around pregnant. That's not how it works here. It's a fair question. Verse 35, the angel actually answers. He says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And this is a great line here. For nothing is impossible with God. Our God can create everything out of nothing. Our God can take a virgin girl named Mary and give her a son. Our God can take on human flesh and enter into human history as the man Jesus Christ. Our God can forgive our sins through the cross of Jesus. Our God can rise from the dead. Our God can answer and does answer prayers because nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Verse 38, listen to Mary's response, amazing response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Here's a simple girl from a simple town with a simple faith. She believes what God says. And so many of us, we have far more information than she did, but we have far less faith in it. Some of you think, I need to know a lot more. Maybe you do need to learn a lot more. But here is the first thing you need to do is you need to believe what you already have been taught. Mary knows very little, but she actually trusts God. She takes him at his word, and she responds and says, I'm the Lord's servant. Some of your translations will say, I am the Lord's handmaiden. That's the lowest of servants. She says, whatever he wants. 
That's what I want. I will serve as God calls me. See, listen to me. So many of us, myself included, we have our life all charted out. We've all charted it out for ourselves and we want God to bless it and we want him to make our plans happen. And if God should rewrite our script, we're not very happy about that. Mary has her script written for life. Think about that. I'm going to marry Joseph. It's going to be a great wedding. We're going to make babies and everybody's going to think I'm a good person and nobody's going to be calling me a tramp because I'm going to be a virgin on my wedding night. And the angel shows up and says, Mary, new script. And Mary says, well, whatever the Lord wants, he gets to write the script for my life. Says once again, this junior high girl. And so we read that and we may culturally miss what she's willing to give up. She's willing to open her hands and let go of her plans. She's willing to go through ridicule for the rest of her life. Hey, don't be like Mary. Man, she was sleeping around before her wedding. I don't want you girls to be like her. Mary is, is willing to let go of her comfort and her security and her identity and her reputation, even her marriage. She doesn't blink. I am the Lord's servant, whatever he would have from me. Now, what has happened over the centuries by some theologians and traditions is some make way too much of Mary and some make way too little of Mary. So let me do some correction on Mary. People will say that not only was Mary able to give birth to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and she was a virgin, but that her mother was also a virgin too. There's no evidence for that. They'll say things like Jesus was sinless, which he was, but they'll say Mary was also sinless too. That's not true. We're actually going to read in the next chapter that Mary, along with Joseph, go to the temple and they offer a sacrifice. Well, you offer sacrifice because you are a sinner and you need forgiveness of your sins. She's a sinner just like you and myself. We need saving. We don't pray to Mary. The Bible says there's one mediator between us and God. It's her son, Jesus Christ. Mary doesn't connect us to God, Jesus does. Mary received grace from God the same way we receive grace from God. So we don't worship Mary. And then there are others who will overreact to all this and they'll make way too little of Mary. So they just kind of jump right over her. You know, she gave birth to Jesus, now moving right along, just kind of skip her. So we don't want to make too much of Mary and we don't want to dishonor her. Listen, she loved God. She's not a perfect woman, but she was a woman of faith. Mary should not be our object of faith, but she should be an example of faith. Every man and woman should aspire to have faith like Mary's, to love God, to trust God, to serve Jesus like she did. Mary is a great role model for young women. As a pastor, I would love it if all of our young women looked at Mary and said, I want to love and serve Jesus like she did. Mary was an amazing young woman and she made her life all about Jesus. Jesus isn't even born yet and Mary is willing to serve him. We see that the message is all about his coming, who he will be and his purpose. So very quickly, I want to give you seven quick things that are stated about Jesus of this unexpected announcement to Mary. Very quickly, number one, we learn in this section that Jesus fulfills scripture. Again, Isaiah 7:14 speaks of the virgin will give birth to a son who is to be Emmanuel. 
God with us. All of scripture, all of history is about Jesus. And I want you to catch this. We tend to believe that we are the main characters in history ourselves. And as a result, we can tend to read ourselves into every Bible story as the main character. And the reality is, Jesus is the main character of the entire story of the Bible. We're not. It's all about him. And he fulfills scripture. Number two, we learn here that Jesus is fully man. He really is human. He, he has a mother. He's born of a woman like every one of us. Mary held him and she nursed him and she changed his diapers and she blew his nose. Sometimes we picture Jesus kind of being born as a man and all of a sudden he's reciting parables from birth. That's just kind of bizarre. God became a man. He identified with us through birth, through seasons of life. He was fully man. Number three, not only was Jesus fully man, Jesus is fully God. When the angel says he is the son of God, that's a divine title. That Jesus is the same stuff, the same substance. He is the same, has the same attributes as, as God the Father. So God the Son adds to himself humanity, takes upon himself human flesh. St. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, says this. He doesn't lose his divinity. Jesus, the second member of the Trinity, he added to himself humanity, and he became a man. And he comes into human history as the Son of God, accomplishing the work of the Father equal to the Father. Number four, Jesus is fully sovereign. We are told he is the son of the most high God. You need to understand there are demons that have power, evil spirits. There are angels that have power, but they are not the most high God. God is the most high alone, and Jesus is the son of the most high God. The same as the most high God. So we're talking here about his prominence and his power and his sovereign rule. Number five, we learn that Jesus is eternal. The angel says that he will rule and reign forever. He'll have a kingdom with no end. Jesus is eternal. He lived before his birth. He lives after his resurrection and ascends into heaven. He is eternally existing without beginning or end. He will reign forever. His kingdom will have no end. Number six, Jesus is sinless. The angel declares that Jesus would be holy. We've all inherited corruption and sin nature from our great, 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 you get the idea, our great, great grandfather Adam. When he sinned, he brought sin into this world and it passes down to us. Jesus, however, has no earthly father and where Adam failed, Jesus succeeded. And where we were guilty in Adam, we were saved because Jesus is holy. He is sinless and when he died, he died not for his sins, but for our sins so that we would receive forgiveness. Now, lastly, number seven, Jesus is humble. This announcement wasn't made to the multitudes, just one junior high girl. It wasn't made in a big town. It was made in Nazareth. It wasn't made to a rich woman. It was made to a poorer woman. Jesus didn't grow up in a large house. He grew up in a small, simple house. Jesus didn't grow up wearing the finest of clothes. He dressed simple. Jesus was humble. See, once again, religion tells us, do your best, try harder, achieve more, so that God will love you. But the story of Mary is, God gives favor and grace to those who don't deserve it. He loves them, he embraces them, he gives them meaning 
and value and purpose to their life. He changes them because God is good. That's why we love Jesus so much more than religion. Jesus is for everyone, the sinners, the the broken, the rebellious, the hard-hearted, the rich, the affluent, the nobodies from nowhere, the poor, the outcast, the marginalized, the weak. And if he is humble enough to come to Mary, guess what? He's humble enough to come and be with us. I want you to understand this. Jesus wants to be with you. Not because you're amazing and as amazing as I know you are, but because he is amazing. He is the God of grace. So as we wrap up kind of our talk today, some of you feel, I'm sure, like damaged goods, you're broken, maybe unworthy. I'm sure Mary experienced some of that, but her answer was, God, if you want to hang out with me and be with me, I'd love to be with you. God, if you want to love me, I'd be happy to love you. Here's the amazing thing about the God of the Bible. He comes to Mary, speaks to her, just like he comes to us and is speaking to some of you right now. He tells her about Jesus, just as some of you are hearing of Jesus, maybe for the first time right now. God does a miracle in our lives, just as he did in the life of Mary. The Bible teaches that each of us are dead in our sins, we're incapable of having life. And the Holy Spirit gives us a new life. We are born again spiritually. We belong to God. Our sins are forgiven. Our new life begins because of Jesus. Mary responded with faith. So we respond with faith, placing our trust in God. And she responded by saying, my life belongs to God. Let me be his servant. So here's my challenge for you today. Have you learned to trust God? If you are a follower of Jesus, have you responded like Mary? I am your servant, whatever you want. Whatever you want, God, that's what I want. If it means rewriting my script of my life, Jesus, I'm okay with that. I wanna follow where you are leading. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Has the Holy Spirit been speaking to you today? Is he stirring in your heart? Is he kind of birthing a new life, a spiritual life in you? And how will you respond? Will you respond in faith, trusting Jesus, receiving his grace? When you given up, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that now. Why don't you join with me as we pray? Let's just pray. God, I pray for all those who would hear this message. I pray that we would look at the humility of Mary, this young woman who received your favor and your grace and responded with complete surrender to you. I pray that we would follow her amazing example and allow you to lead us. For those who have not responded in faith, not responded to your call in their lives, if that is you today listening, I would encourage you to say yes to Jesus' love, yes to his grace, yes to his forgiveness, Every one of us needs saving from our sin and our rebellion. And God offers it, offers it to us freely, to all who accept it. You simply need to pray in your heart to God's heart. God, I receive your love. God, I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for humbly coming and saving me. And I want to follow you. So God, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you came to us. In Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you, my friends. Thanks for joining us. If you want to reach out, we'd love to answer your questions and touch base with you. Take care. Have a great week.